Welcome to Glasgow Evangelicals Podcast. Thanks for listening with us today. Our hope is that today's sermon equips you to live the gospel joyously. Come along with us as we learn to live the gospel together. have one announcement that we want to bring you all along with and, and share, um, but I think it's a really exciting announcement, um, not only because uh, it, uh, it, it affects a, a whole entire, it well, actually affects the whole entire church family, but I think it's a great thing, and so uh, Brian is going to uh, share something uh, with us, and uh, we'll, we'll walk together with it. Um, yeah, so I had to write this down in a letter because it's going to be hard to to share without being in a letter. So I'm just gonna read from this and then we'll go from there. To my wonderful family of faith. (laughs) It's already starting. That's why I'm here. (laughs) Uh, Unfortunately, I'm writing this letter to present my official resignation as youth youth pastor effective July 1st, 2019. I have a lot more to read. You have a lot more. I was recently sent to receive an award with my wife in Helena, Montana. We did not feel that God would bring us clear across our great state for just an award, so we prayed for the reason he was sending us. God led us to a ministry called Childbridge, which finds and equips foster and adoptive families for children in need. Our desire was initially to work with them to bring Childbridge to northeastern Montana, but we soon found out that the organization could not grow throughout Montana if they did not grow internally. This is what led to them offering me a key leadership position in Great Falls to help them continue to grow and reach families across Montana. My wife and I spent a couple weeks in prayer and discussion to try and figure out if this is where God was leading our family. I was officially offered the position on April 30th with tears in our eyes and sadness in our heart. We have decided that this is God's call for us. We are extremely sad to leave this ministry and the many families that have brought us in and supported us over the last three and a half years. Your love and example of a Christian walk is exactly what has guided our hearts in this direction. Without so many people offering prayer, support, kindness, patience, physical labor, monetary poundings, biblical counsel, and sincere friendship, we could not be anywhere near as close to Christ as we are now. You are a family and always will be. This is not a sad moment, but a joyous one as we celebrate this ministry, sending yet another missionary into the field. I'm good now. I'm good Great. now. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we've been, uh, man, ever, three years ago when you came on board, we've been, we've been looking at, you and I have been looking at buildings to build an orphanage. We, like, went through the Roosevelt Hotel together and started dreaming. We looked at different properties. We, I mean, all of these different things. And it's just, uh, it's, it's not that uh, this is ending any of those dreams or anything like that, but it is uh, following God's calling for this. And so can you, can you uh, we know that your heart is uh, foster, adoption, all that sort of stuff, but can you tell us a little bit more of what Child Bridge does and what your, kind of what your role is going to be there? Uh, they offered me the position as regional director um, of Great Falls, which is actually a very large area outside of Great Falls, Lewistown, Haver, Conrad, Cascade, like that's kind of the, the circle there. And the, the, the job uh, description is just to um, go and talk to churches, pretty much exactly what we did here um, with Fostering Love at the beginning of the year yep. is what this company does year-round, uh, this ministry does year-round. Um, and so for my wife and I, it was, um, it was really crazy. Uh, 
to read everything that God has already been putting on our heart, mm-hmm. on their website. And again, our, our goal was not to, <laughs> to leave. Um, our goal was to bring that here, uh, maybe just what we've already been doing with Fostering Love and, and just have a little bit more support behind it. And so hopefully uh, through this process, we will get uh, Child Bridge up here into northeastern Montana, but um, and just, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so that, that's what they do. Uh, uh, it'll be speaking in churches um, 50% of the year and then supporting families as they take the step to, to foster care. Absolutely. And, and I just want to make sure, just for me, I want to make sure that you're not uh, resigning because of our big fight last week, right? No. no. And so we made this joke earlier, right? We made this joke earlier. And I said, people don't understand sarcasm. It doesn't work I all still the time brought it. it goes through. Because so people are going to actually think we had a fight. We did not have a fight. Um, but yep. no, it's not, yeah. about, it's not yes. about the fight. Yes, so. we did. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> we didn't have a fight. No, it's not about the fight. In fact, uh, um, Brian has struggled through this process, and um, if there's one thing we've talked about over and over again, it is this, is we see people like Abraham and Moses and um, all of the prophets who listen to God, and God says, step out in faith right, and uh, step out and follow what I'm asking you to do and, and watch what happens. And so um, kind of tell me that process a little bit that got, went on in your head in, in terms of, of, of what you've been saying in, in, in church, reading in, in scripture, but also going, no, this is the practical application in my life of that. Well, I think that um, a lot of times we feel that, that God is blessing our lives if things are comfortable. And believe me, like, we've been very comfortable with this church family and feel like this is, this is our home. Um, and so when God started putting this, this weird thing in our lives, it was very uncomfortable. Um, and so that shouldn't be a sign in our lives that it's not God's will. Um, God's will is, is through Scripture. And uh, the funny thing is, is before any of this happened, Lindsay and I, while we were in Helena, got um, tattoos <laughs> that talk about taking care of widows and orphans. And then, and then all of this happened over the next, you know, couple weeks. But, um, yeah, the, the, the scripture that God's been putting on our heart is just that the purpose of the church is to care for those in need. In particular for us, it's been drawing us to foster care and many kids in our, in our home. We feel that we can share the scripture if, if people are part of our family. And so we always bring people over to our house and things like that. But when you live with them, there's no avoiding Christ. Yeah. And so, and so that's, that's really been it, just leading us that way. And it's never been... Uh, I'm, I'm hoping to phase out youth ministry so that I can do foster care. The, the idea was always doing them both yeah. until God put this in our lives. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. Hey, I, I just want to say thank you um, for being uh, real and open and honest. And we're going to get into that in Scripture a little bit, uh, a little bit about uh, today through this of, of walking into it. And this wasn't easy for you. And the, the one thing that the reason why we're bringing this to you guys is... Um, is this, this isn't a moment to beat up on them and say, I can't believe you're leaving us uh, because there's always change. There, there's always things happening in our lives. And um, I told the council this week, I said, if, if, we, if we are shallow enough to think that only God is leading Brian and not our church, we're, we're sorely mistaken. 
Um, God is working in, in both areas. And so God is taking our church in a direction too. And, and we get to pray about that and look at that and go, okay, God, where, where are you leading us in terms of how to do your ministry in Glasgow, Montana uh, to affect the kingdom of God? And so that's what you're doing and that's what we're going to seek to do. And so there's nothing but love for Brian. I, I think maybe for 30 seconds I was really just mad, but, uh, but that was purely selfish reasons. And, uh, and we, that, that just has no place in this, um, in this whole entire story of ours. And so, um, when we, we absolutely love, you're still going to be here for a week and it's not like you're dying or leaving tomorrow, (laughs) but, uh, Hey, continue to give, uh, Brian and Lindsay hugs, continue to talk to them, ask them tons of questions. Um, it's a really cool story The the place they're going to, in fact, actually we have, we have looked into partnering with them with Childbridge, but they're just not up here yet. And so that's kind of some of the stuff that we see God is potentially moving in that direction. And so you get to be a part of that. And so, yeah, continue to love on them and all that, okay? Every Sunday, Brian and I kind of leave for the first worship song and we go pray together in the back. And he said something really interesting that just kind of kind of hit me, and it was during his prayer. He said, hey, God, thank you for making moms and not having this world just full of a bunch of dudes. Um, and so uh, I, I love that because this is that uh, I, in that moment, I realized there's not a single one of us that wouldn't be here unless we had a mom, right? Like Adam and Eve are the only ones that are just like, yeah, God's my creator. I mean, all of us, yeah. I'm not going to go into theological implications of that. But hey, um, I, I love the fact that I just had that thought process is, is we could, if it was a bunch of dudes, nothing would be happening. So um, yeah, let's get into our, uh, our verses of the week. Uh, this is found uh, in Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And I just want to let you know that all week long I've been stewing about this uh, sermon because I read a, uh, a statistic that in all of uh, Charles Spurgeon's 60 volumes of sermons that he, ever, that he ever preached, he never tackled this, like, 11 verses. He never actually preached on any of these verses, and I'm like, I just started this thing, and I'm going to try to preach it. And so uh, I am not Charles Spurgeon, and he didn't want to tackle it. So I'm like, what makes me think that I'm going to? But we're going to have fun in these verses today because uh, I think that they hugely apply to uh, where we're at today and how to move forward in, um, in this book of Acts. So here we go. Let's read it together. Verses 1 through 11. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen in front of you. But there was a certain man named Ananias who, with his wife Sapphira, sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also, was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. And as soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, was this 
the price you and your husband received for the land. Yes, she replied, that was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young man who buried your husband, the young men who buried your husband are just outside the door and they will carry you out too. Instantly she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. Let's pray. Hey, dear Heavenly Father, God, as we dive into this, this piece of scripture, Lord, would you speak to our hearts? Would we listen to your Holy Spirit and would we allow it to enter into the places that need to be swept out, the places in our hearts which are maybe hard-hardened or don't desire you or haven't been looked at in a while and, and we need to we need to see our hearts for what it truly is and allow you to do the work. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, happy Mother's Day still. We're going to talk about death today. Uh, <laughs> but one of the things that I love about this piece of scripture is this, is that uh, at its very core, it is looking at the idea that we want everything on the outside to look okay, but on the inside, it's not okay. Um, there, there is stuff going on. And so this points right back to the very foundational verse of Acts, which we go through every week together. And so uh, let's look at it. The very foundational scripture of the book of Acts is found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And it says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the outer ends of the earth. That verse hugely pertains to what we're going to be looking at today in Scripture. Because the idea is, is that we are filled with the Holy Spirit and we want uh, the Holy Spirit to witness through us. And right in this piece of Scripture, we find out that that's not the case. And so let's walk through this together and then we'll kind of put some application uh, wheels on it so it'll roll out of this building. And so we're going to start with verses uh, 1 and 2 together. And so, but... Anytime, just to let you know, if you are reading scripture and you are um, studying it and you see a but, a therefore, or a whereas, or anything like that, you should ask in there, what is the therefore, therefore? What is, why is there a but there, right? Um, I, I, yeah, I was going to make a but joke, but I'm not going to. Um, Right away, we see in the verses right before it that there was a guy who was, by the, who was the name of Barnabas. And what he did was he sold one of his fields and he gave all of the money to, to the church. And he said, here, he didn't sell all of his fields. He sold one of his fields and gave to the church. And that was part of what was going on in the church. And everybody was, all the people that were in need were um, enjoying and not needing anything. And so right now, 
the reason why I think Luke put Barnabas in there was not to kind of say, hey, look how great Barnabas was, Barnabas was, but to go right into this next piece of scripture because he gets done with this telling of the story of the field and goes right into, there was this people by the name of Ananias and Sapphira. By the way, not that this really matters at all or anything, but Sapphira's name means beautiful and Ananias' name means God is gracious. Okay, so these are two people that I feel like don't live up to their name very much. Okay, that's what I just, that's a nugget for you to take home. That's freebie. So as we walk through this, we find that they sell a field and both of them together decide that we aren't going to give the full amount. We're going to keep some back for ourselves. It might mean that they all of a sudden, they had great intentions, right? They might have gone, hey, we want to help out the church. These aren't bad people. Ananias and Sapphira aren't wicked people. Well, they are wicked because their hearts are bad, just like everybody else in here. But they, they have good intentions. We want to help out the church. They have become Christians. They have been walking with the disciples. They've been learning from the apostles, and so it's not like they're just somebody who's coming off the street that's saying, hey, look at this good deed of mine. No, I do believe that they had a good heart. And then maybe, just maybe, they sold this field and they're like, wow, we got way more money than we ever expected to get from this field. We could do something with this. Maybe we need it. Maybe while they sold their field and all of a sudden one of their, one of their donkeys died. I don't know. And so they decided, hey, we're going to keep a little bit of this money for ourselves. Whatever the reason is, they decided to both say, here's the deal. We sold it for $1,000. we are going to keep $250 of it, but we're going to tell them that we sold it for 750 Okay? They agreed with it together. They wanted everybody to think that they were tremendous givers just like Barnabas. Right away, that's how this story starts out. But then we get into verses 3 and 4 and Ananias walks in and he gives the money. And Paul not, sorry, Paul, it's not Paul yet. Paul's not in this story yet. You guys got to remember that. Peter, Peter comes in and he says, hey, is this really all that you sold it for? And I don't think Peter was trying to be mean. Maybe he was filled with the Holy Spirit, okay? Um, but in this moment, he asks this question, is this really all that you sold it for? I think God has a tremendous way of bringing people into our lives to maybe hold us accountable a little bit. Because later on we see that Peter says something that I think changes the way that um, we can look at this question. But it is Peter who is filled with the Holy Spirit. Asks this question to Ananias. Is this all that you did? Is this all that you sold it for? And he says, yes. And I love the response from him. The property was yours to sell or not sell. The money was yours to give or not give. It really actually doesn't matter, but the whole entire tent of your heart right now is to actually please me, and that's not the point. In, in fact, what he's saying is, is, you aren't morally obligated to me. to any of the leaders, to any of the human, other humans, but you are mutually accountable with me. 
is we want your word to be true. You don't have to give this money. You could have kept it for yourself. You could have done whatever you wanted with it. But really, what it comes down to is this, is, is Ananias, you answer directly to God. And so with the question that Peter asks is not to get him to answer to him so that Peter can squelch him or do anything he wants to him and, and make him feel shame. No, it's actually, man, no, you, you need to be honest with God. I love the idea that pleasing the apostles really didn't count for anything. It really boiled down to, are you pleasing God. And so we find in verse five and six that he is completely deceptive. Nope, this is all. And he dies right away. He breathes his last breath. We don't know if he died of a heart attack because he was so afraid. I don't know. Maybe he was like a sheep and Ah, and fell over. I don't know what that looks like, um, but we don't know any of those things. All we know is this, is, is that his deception, God took care of it. This wasn't the apostles, right? The apostles weren't walking around zapping people and killing people. That's not what they were doing. This was God's doing, and we'll get to that in a little bit because you're like, wow, God is kind of mean, um, but we'll, we'll answer that. Why was God so severe in, in just a little bit? And then we move into uh, verses 7 through 10, and uh, we find that Sapphira walks in three hours later, right? There's a bunch of men who were standing in, like, the front row of this place, and Ananias dies, right? And they pick him up, and they carry him out, right? And three hours later, Sapphira comes, gives her one last chance. He asks the exact same question. Is this really what you sold it for? And she said, absolutely it is. And he responds to her, hey, the people that just carried your husband out because he's dead, they're here to take you too. And she dies. There's two things that Peter says to both Ananias and Sapphira that um, catch me off guard and make me think a little bit more. And the first one is this, is why are you lying to the Holy Spirit? Why are you lying to the Holy Spirit? As if God doesn't know what's really going on already. I find it interesting that God is the creator, sustainer of the universe, and we think that we can pull one over on him. I used to do this thing in youth group where... <laughs> used to do this where uh, we would tell kids not to make purple, right? So if boys are blue and girls are pink, you put them together, they create purple, right? Like no like making out in the church or anything like that. And it never helped. Kids were always still making out. And I finally just said, here's the deal. Jesus is right next to you. So when you're making out with your boyfriend or girlfriend, just picture Jesus right there going, hey, how you guys doing? Having fun? You doing okay? <laughs> that didn't help either. But, uh, <laughs> but I just picture this idea that we think that we can pull one over on God. 
We think that he's as if he's not there, that he doesn't know what's going on, that we can say, hey, let's lie to these other people. And the story keeps coming back to over and over again because he also said this to Ananias. He says, why are you putting the spirit to the test? He keeps over and over reiterating that this isn't about me. This isn't about you making the apostles like you more or any less. This is about your relationship with God. Your relationship with God is the witness here. We can't judge you except for going, no, are you doing what you're supposed to be doing when it comes to looking at how to live? But don't continue to try to lie to us. There is a correlation here between those who have received the Holy Spirit with salvation and those who are headed towards what we would call sanctification, right? Those who are going, all right, we've been saved. Now we're turning towards Jesus and our whole entire life becomes about him. You know, we want people to, uh, we want to appear one way on the outside, but really on the inside, we are harboring sin like none other. You see, their sin wasn't that they, <laughs> I think their sin wasn't that they kept something from the church. I, I think we share in their sin today. It is that, that not that when others think we are more spiritual than we really are, but that we put on an air that we are more spiritual than we really are to make them think that. It's really superficial Christianity is what it is. It is we are more concerned about what other people think about what's going on with our spirituality than where God is taking us in our spiritual walk. I mean, it, it really likens all the way back to Adam and Eve when they're saying, hey, if you eat from this tree, you can be like God, knowing good and evil. And so we have the exact same curse, right? We think that we can fool other people. We think that we can tell God exactly how we're going to live. We try to cheapen it a little bit more by saying, at least we're giving 750 I love the idea that they could have gone to Peter and they could have said, here, you know what? We sold it for a thousand. We're only giving 500 because, man, we're going to keep 500 because we found that we had a little bit of a need. And you know what Peter would have, been sa would have said? Oh, that's so amazing. Thank you. We're going to do this for the church. That's exactly what we needed and God has provided he also could have probably said, hey, are you sure you don't want to part with the other 500 because I've got some people in need? Trust me, you'll be fine. Ananias, your, mean, your name means God is gracious. God's going to take care of you. I don't know, but that means that we're in relationship with one another, which we're going to talk about here in just a little bit. One of my greatest blunders um, that still haunts me today is I was in a, I was in a preaching uh, class and 
this guy walks in and he's got a flannel shirt on and he's got jeans and he's our teacher and he walks up and sits down and I'm just like, who is this guy? Like, I'd never heard the name Bob Merritt before. And uh, he walks in and sits down. I leaned over and I was like, I leaned over to my friend. I was like, who, who is our teacher? I've never heard of this guy before. He's like, you've never heard of Bob Merritt? I was like, nope, I haven't heard of him. And uh, he says, well, he's only got the largest church in a six-state area from here. Um, he pastors right now, his church is about 28,000 people, and he's going to be my teacher, right? And so I'm sitting there going, oh, great, he's, he's going to be our preaching teacher. And so he asked us this uh, quest. He gave us a, like a little bit of a, a quest to say, hey, I want you to give us a three-minute spiel on the Holy Spirit and how it works in your life, but I want it to be in a story form. And so what I did was um, I brought a object lesson, and I had this headlamp that had three different sets. Settings, right? You had the halogen, you had the, um, you had the LEDs on there, and then you could actually turn them both on and make them twice as bright and all that sort of stuff. And so I told this story about my friend and I who were tenting one time, and this bear was um, kind of, you could hear this bear sniffing around our tent, and all of a sudden uh, we were laying in our tent, and my friend, who is like six foot six, got like I, I think the bear tripped on one of the uh, one of the ropes that were in our tent, or kind of came near, but like completely swiped him on the head, and my friend just went flying to the other side of the tent, right? And so um, the story went on that uh, we quickly looked at each other and we, was, we were like, "Let's do this!" And so we got our headlamp on and we got out of the tent and we went sprinting after the bear, right? And so we were just chasing this bear, and I said that I had both my headlight headlamps on. And I mean, I was, I mean, it was really cool. I'm, I'm going to shorten this story, but um, uh, it was, and so I got them really excited and everybody in the room was like, that's amazing. You chased after a bear. And Bob was like, that's, uh, I'm, we're on a first name basis. Um, I, Bob was like, that's really cool. I can't believe you chased a bear. I was like, yeah, it was really fun. And so like the week goes by and, and everything of my friend, uh, the, the guilt was just like getting to me, right? And so my friend leans over and goes, did you really chase a bear? I was like, no, why would you ever chase a bear? And then my friend was like, hey, everybody, he never chased that. I mean, to the whole class, right? And you could just watch Bob's face like, oh, uh. It's not as fun as the story. And so then every moment I was like, well, like, I opened up the tent and I shined my light out to see if it was a bear, and it definitely was a bear. And by that time, that story was already gone. But why is it that we, we want everybody to think we're cooler than we actually are? Or why is it that we come up with these stories to be able to say, I'm better than I am? It's really the story of sin, right? Their, their sin in this story is that it was already premeditated. I had to write that story and it was already premeditated. I'm going to lie in this story. It's purely motivated by pride. Our pride within us that says, we've got this. We can handle this. We are we are gods of our own lives. We surely won't die. We can get people to see these things in us. 
And I want to answer the question of why was God so severe in this moment and not other moments. It is because of this. I think there is a pivotal spot in this church right now that is just growing and just getting together that God is not going to allow this type of behavior to continue on. It doesn't happen anywhere else in the Bible. We don't see it happen anywhere else in the Bible except for this moment at this time. I think God is trying to say, no, it's not going to happen. There's just getting off the ground and people worshiped because of this. They started to have to realize that this isn't just some cool movement that I can become a part of. This is the real deal. I'm going to become a part of this and it may not be comfortable for the rest of my life. It might mean that God is asking me to do some very uncomfortable things. But the point is, is that I, we need to be more concerned about the church and where God is headed than anything about ourselves. And so I think that there's a responsibility of believers in this story. And so if you're taking notes, we're going to fly through these really quickly because the time is fading. So here's the first one, responsibility of believers. And if you didn't notice this, these are all going to be the things that you've seen multiple times in our church. They're by the tree out there as you walk in. They're kind of our, hey, this is how we're going to follow our mission of, of, uh, of equipping people to live the gospel joyously. And so the responsibility of believers, the first one is this. We have a responsibility to be real, to be real. In our responsibility to maintain integrity, we need to be honest about who we are, what is going on inside of us. At every moment, we need to be saying, where am I at? What's going on? What's happening? Psalms 139, 23 through 24 says this. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. What if before any interaction, before anything we did, we just said, God, where is my heart in this? Would you search me right now? Would you help me to know that you've got everything under control? Psalms 51.10 says this. Do you have it up there? Maybe not. Let's flip over to it really quickly. I wish I could tell you guys that I memorize all these scriptures every week. But that would be lying. Fifty-one ten says, says this, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a loyal spirit within me. Every single moment, are we coming back to going, God, do I have integrity right now? Am I being real? The next responsibility is being rooted. Being rooted. We have a responsibility to maintain a clear conscience. There's a great story that's a complete 
opposite of Ananias and Sapphira, and it's found in 2 Samuel 12, 1 through 14. And you guys can read that for yourselves later on, but it's the story of David and Bathsheba. And just a quick synopsis, David, David sees this amazing-looking woman, decides to sleep with her, gets her pregnant, husband is still out of the battlefield, comes home. David tries to be sneaky and says, hey, go sleep with your wife so that they can think that, hey, it's my kid so that David is free from it. Doesn't happen, and so David ends up going, all right, put him on the front lines, everybody back up, kill him, all that sort of stuff. And so David kills somebody, and David continues to go on, and there's this prophet, Nathan, that comes about and tells him a story. Tells him this amazing story of, of a farmer who had a bunch of sheep and another farmer that didn't have very many sheep and somebody came to visit the farmer with lots of sheep and the farmer with lots of sheep goes and takes the farmer with very little sheep and goes and kills them. And David's like, tell me who that is so I can ruin that man. And Nathaniel looks at him and says, you are that man. You are that person. And David's response is unbelievable. What a wicked thing I've done. And Nathaniel in that story in the, in the next verses says, you're forgiven. We see a little, bit of, uh, a little bit of that in Psalms 32, 2 through 4, and it says, yes, what joy, sorry, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. It goes on to say something amazing in the rest of that verse, in verse 5. And so you can write that one down. But it says, finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. And I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me and all my guilt is gone. It starts with being rooted in where we're supposed to be. God, would you tell me where I'm wrong? Would you allow me to see me for who I really am? And would you allow me to be rooted in you? And when we do that and when we see those things and we become who God is calling us to be, I think the next step is that we understand relationship. And so the next one is we have a responsibility to be relational. It means being authentic. It means being walking with one another and seeing that our sin affects absolutely everyone. The verse in 1.8, in Acts 1.8 says that you will be my witnesses everywhere. We do that by being relational with one another. Romans 14.7 says, for we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. Once we attach ourselves to the church, we are living relationally with one another. And when we live relationally with one another, and we know that every sin, our sin affects one another, our joy affects one another, our sharing affects one another, our, uh, our giving affects one another, the next part is only something that God can do. But you have to realize that you're a part of it. 
And it's this, is that we have a responsibility as believers to be reaching. To be reaching. We are witnesses. Ananias and Sapphira, even in their sin, are witnesses. There's a DC Talk song out there that says at the very beginning, I know it's a quote from a pastor, but I can't remember the pastor. It says, you know, the single cause of, the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who profess him with his lips and, and deny him and walk away from him with their lifestyle. Right? This is exactly what it is, is the reason why, uh, not the reason, uh, this is exactly what we're saying is, is if we understand that we are witnesses our lives are on display always. And that picture of the men sitting in the front row, and I know that that wasn't their job, but could you imagine if God was still doing the exact same practice with Ananias and Sapphira as they were today? Morgues wouldn't be off-site. Morgues would be right here, right? We'd have a mortician coming in every single Sunday and taking out like half the people, right? Uh, they would start with me. All right, here we go, right? And we would, we would, can you just imagine that that would be a full-time job? Nobody would want to come to the church then. Or maybe it would be like, yeah, we've got people who are committed people. They are strong, um, but it's just this picture of going, God, okay, in this story as we look at it, it just means more and more how much we want to be real people. We want to be rooted in God. We want to be relational with one another, which allows the conversation to be uh, accountable with one another. When Peter says, is this really all that you sold it for? We can have the honesty to say, no, it's not. Awesome, let's walk together. Do you need any needs? I, it allows us that accountability. And our witness will just be that much stronger as we go out and are reaching through our lives. So this morning, we're going to worship with one last song. And I think it's a little bit fitting. Um, but I also want you to think about what the words are because the words are, Bring the rain. And what it means is, is God, if this is what it takes to worship you, would you bring the rain? Would you show me what's wrong in me? Would you, if I need to go through tragedy, I'm okay with that. Whatever it's going to take for me to worship you, I will do so. Thanks for joining us again for another sermon of the GEC podcast. Connect with us at GlasgowEC.com or every Sunday morning at 10 here in Glasgow, Montana. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes because this helps us share the word with more people. See you next week.